following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. I'm excited to continue the series Mark, um, investigating the man who is God. We're on Mark chapter 7 this week, and it is the topic is on Jesus and religion. And yes, we are going to whack it like a pinata and talk about it. Um, so we're going to move into to Mark chapter 7. Let me set some context first. Uh, there's three groups here. There's Jesus, who the Bible calls the chief shepherd, and I am the under-shepherd under Jesus. He is ultimately really our, our lead pastor, and I am under Jesus, and I'm the under-shepherd, and so Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the, the Bible calls him the good shepherd, and the congregation uh, is the sheep. Now, that's not meaning an animal or people are, are dumb. It's not a derogatory term. It's a positive term. We're sheep. I'm a sheep, even, also as an under-shepherd, because we follow the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus. And so that's one group. And then we've got two other groups. We've got the scribes, who are the teachers of the law. Um, they are kind of the lawyers. They've got my job. They're, they're teachers, but they are not doing it well. Pray to God that I do my job well. And then we've got the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the students. They're the imitators of the teachers of the law. And together, the scribes and the Pharisees are what we call the religious wolves. They are wolves because they love to lead the sheep astray. They love to manipulate, and they love to control, and they love to heap burdens onto the sheep to try to make their life more difficult. These are, are the religious wolves, and, and Jesus is going to confront them today. That's what we're going to see. Jesus is going to confront them, and, and some of you might be confused because the Bible says that we are supposed to be nice to people. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And yet Jesus is going to be confrontational. He's not going to be nice. Why is that? It's not because Jesus doesn't love the wolves. It's because Jesus loves the sheep and he wants to love and protect the sheep. And so he needs to be sometimes stern and firm with people because he has other people he wants to protect. Martin Luther said it this way, he said um, to be able to, to be stern, that you, we can never be too stern with the wolves, but we can, we, with the weak sheep, we can never be too gentle. In other words, we need to be able to have at times be firm and stern. And we're going to see Jesus be firm and stern with the religious wolves. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 7, verse 1, and it goes like this. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, according, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders, but eat with defiled hands? So in here, we see Jesus hanging out with irreligious people, even sinners. And then the, uh, the Pharisees show up. But we see Jesus hanging out 
with sinners all throughout the gospel. Because Jesus likes to eat with, with irreligious people. He likes to eat with people with nefarious reputations. Gals with clear heels and guys with nine millimeters in their strap. And people who got, just got done being extras in hip-hop videos. He eats with the type of people that we would see as, as, as sinners today. And he, Jesus is rolling by in the Escalade with the bass pumping. And he's waving at the religious people. And they're like, where is he going? And Jesus is like, I'm going to eat with sinners. I'm going to go, go hang out with them. And, and they said, where is he going? Why is he with sinners? And, and, and Jesus says, yes, I eat with sinners. I, I don't participate in their sin. Uh, I don't approve of their sin. But, but Jesus eats with sinners because Jesus loves people. And he wants to serve people in their needs. Uh, saying, why, does, why is Jesus with sinners is like saying to doctors, doctors, why are you always around sick people? What are you doing around sick people? Um, you, you could get sick. You could catch something. Don't be around sick people. But doctors are around sick people because they want to heal them. And Jesus is around sinners. Thank you, God, that Jesus is around me. He's around you. He's around sinners. We're all sinners because he's there because he wants to heal us. He wants to be with us. And Jesus is the only one who can. And Jesus wants to do that because he, he loves sinners, but Jesus, which convicts me, also loves religious people. He allows religious people to come around him. I can understand how Jesus loves to hang out with sinners because maybe it's like, hey, you want to go eat chicken wings and throw darts? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I want to go eat chicken wings and throw darts. And, and then the religious people show up and they're like, hey, Jesus, you want to hang out? And Jesus like, should, should be like, no, no, I don't. Uh, there's not going to be chicken wings. There's not going to be darts. We're going to pray, somebody's going to pray in the King James for like 27 minutes, and then we're going to, you know, eat slop, whatever slop you put in front of me, we're going to talk about theological stuff that probably doesn't even matter, and at the end of it, we're going to get into head coverings, and we're probably going to pray some more. Um, but Jesus loves people. He loves irreligious people, he loves religious people, and he wants to meet people in their needs and help them wherever they are, whatever they're doing, whatever struggles they're going through. And, and the problem is, is that the Pharisees and the scribes, they don't love people. What they love to do is they love to heap burdens on people and make things more difficult for them. They love to be able to, to work through people and, and say that they need to add things to, to add rules to God. Religious people make rules for God. They want to be able to, to add more things onto the people. Proverbs 35 to 6 says, Do not add to his word, or he'll rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. See, we believe the Bible. We believe Jesus, and we believe that we don't need to add to his word. That is, it is sufficient. God's word is sufficient, and there's nothing we need to add. But the, the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to add to the Bible because they're trying to trap Jesus and his disciples and say, hey, Jesus, you're not really holy. You're not really a, a rabbi. You're not really a teacher. And, and so they're trying to trap Jesus by saying how his disciples are. Are acting, But it's not really about the word or about the traditions. It's really about their own power and them trying to add on to that so they could feel superior. This last week, I asked some people to help me out with some of the a weird religious 
rules that were kind of added on, and some of you replied, thank you, and, and I researched some of it too, and I, I came up with a couple situations that just give us some example of how religious people act, and there was one guy who said that he was part of a nationwide school and ministry group, and the leader of that, that ministry group thought that jeans gave the impression of rebellion, because so, nothing says rebellion like wearing jeans, um, and so, you know, you know, think about it, really. Like, in the 60s, we started wearing jeans, and now we have terrorism, cause and effect, you know? Or, or um, there was another one that I, that I saw. Um, boys, when that, the, the person was a part of a church group, and the, the church group wouldn't let boys and girls swim together because the girls could become pregnant. That's not how it happens. <laughs> um, or, or there was another one that I, that I like, um, this girl went over to, this woman, when, when she was a girl, went over to a friend's house, and the friend's parents wouldn't let her trick-or-treat because it was Satan's birthday. Uh, but beyond that, then, later on, that mom became pregnant, and she gave birth to a baby on Halloween. <laughs> and so, you can imagine it like God up in heaven saying, come over here, over here, guys, you got to watch this, this is fantastic. You can see the mom trying to like hold her legs and like not letting the baby come out on Halloween, you know, trying to trying to stop those things from happening. And and we said other things like you can't wear a hat to church, uh, you can't play cards in church, you can't eat meat on Fridays. TV and rock music were created by Satan. There's no movies. You can't have wet hair at church. Um, and ultimately, that the church is judgmental. And that's what one of the main criticisms, if you, you Google why are Christians so, um, and one of the things that comes up is why are Christians so judgmental. But that's not the way we were supposed to come across. It's not the way we were supposed to be. And so Jesus responds to all this religious hypocrisy, and, he, and, and Jesus says to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you, many such things you do. And so Jesus comes to these people and he says, you hypocrites, right out of the great gate. I mean, it just got real now. And he's, he's talking to these people and he's saying, you guys are hypocrites because you want to follow your tradition and hold your tradition above the commandments of God. They're wanting to raise their preferences to be above the word of God in their life. And the example Jesus uses is of, of a father and a mother. Um, he says, honor your father and your mother, which is one of the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then what they do instead is they say, hey, if you have, have children and the children say, whatever I would have given to my parents, I give to God, which is not really giving to God. It sounds honorable, but really they're trying to excuse themselves from any responsibility. And so it, back in those days, parents had kids because they, they needed also kids to help out around the farm, to help out 
to, to grow vegetables. I mean, we have Amazon Fresh, but they had real fresh back, that, back in that day. And so they wanted to, to help grow the things. They needed kids to help around the house, and they didn't have Social Security. Kids were their Social Security. I kind of like that idea. Um, kids were, were supposed to be the ones that when their parents got older and couldn't do all the manual labor that was required for living in that day, that the, the, the kids would do that. And so the kids say, for, them to, for the kids to say, hey, whatever I would have given to you, I give to God, is to ultimately leave the parents in the background, to leave the parents without any kind of safety net of support in, when they get older. And so Jesus says, I don't acknowledge your rules. Your rules are religious, and religion is ridiculous. No, I don't follow your rules. You can't write a book. I've already created a book. I've already written a book. It already has laws in it. You can't write a book and add it to mine. No, I don't follow your rules. That's what Jesus wants to say to these people because the, he, because then he gets at what the main problem is. The main problem is that, um, that what, the, what the Pharisees and what the scribes did, and he hinted at this earlier, is these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far, far from me. That was the problem. The problem was not dirty hands. The problem was defiled hearts. They had been corrupted, the scribes and the Pharisees had been corrupted by their, their desire to put the people down instead of raising the people up, to heap more burdens on the people rather than trying to help them in their, in their trouble. And this is what Jesus is coming at. Jesus says to them, and he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters his heart, not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, and woman, come evil thoughts, he's uh, gender equality here, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So what Jesus says is what defiles a person is not what comes from the outside. Uh, there's two things wrong Basically, to sum this up, there's two things wrong with religious rules. Number one, religious rules can only judge by the external appearance. They can't judge the heart. Jesus is saying, hey, we've got to get to know people's heart. But, but what religion does is religion only tries to judge people by where they are, not by where they've been, and, by, and only by their external appearances, not by their internal appearances. And so... Uh, People try, try to judge. I heard of a pastor, and uh, it was a church up here in the Northwest, and there was a couple that came from the Deep South to visit this church. And, you know, it's, we're not, you know, they come up, we love people from the Deep South, but they come up here and to the great left coast underneath our Canadian atheist neighbors. And um, they, they come up here, and, you know, we're not exactly the buckle on the Bible belt. And so, we, we have, you know, this, a lot of irreligious people around our area. And so they come to this church, and after the church, they, after the service, they go to the pastor, and they say, hey, Pastor, we really loved the service, but we were a little freaked out. 
And the pastor says, why, why were you freaked out? Well, first of all, thanks for the service, but that you liked it, but, but why were you freaked out? And they said, before the service, we saw some people outside the church smoking. And then when the worship service happened, they were in the worship team. And, and the pastor said, oh, oh, really? It was, well, well, what were they smoking? And they said, oh, well, they were smoking cigarettes. And he's like, well, that's just great. That's great. You should see what they were smoking before they were on the worship team. They're really on the sanctification trail. They are really growing. <laughs> and, and the thing is that we can judge people by how we see them and by where they are, but we're not judging people by where, what they've come from. And we have no idea the circumstances that people have come from. I heard another one where they were judging a woman because she has clothes, and, and the other pastor was like, because she had like the wrong type of clothes. And the pastor's like, great, she has clothes. It's progress. You know, get her a sweater, encourage her, help her. Um, but we, don't, we never know the situation that somebody comes from. And religion only judges the external appearances. It doesn't get to the heart. It doesn't get to understanding what is really within the person. And that really leads to me to the second point. And really my main point is that religion often judges wrongly about people because it doesn't get to the real issue. The real issue is not the external appearance of people. The real issue is their heart. That is the real issue. And these, these Pharisees, they were worried about dirty hands um, because that's, there was, that was their tradition, that they would, you were supposed to wash your hands in the Bible. The Bible, by the way, never says that. It never says that um, you're supposed to wash your hands. It doesn't say, thou must washeth thine hands. Um, there is a passage in Exodus that talks about Aaron and the priest, um, how they should wash their hands when they come into the temple, but there's nothing that says it about all, day, all time for all people. Um, but they're worried about that, about dirty hands. And, and what really is, is happening and Purell people buckle up, is um, Purell, Purell fans, that he's saying that whatever's dirty, it comes in you, and it goes out of you one way or another. It might be fast, it might be slow, it might be an explosion, it might be a trickle, but it's going to come out of you one way or another. And, and even if you get sick in the midst of that, that sickness Dirty hands is not defiled. In other words, the problem is not dirty hands, it's a defiled heart. Because defiled, to be defiled didn't mean just that you had, had dirt on your hands. To be defiled meant that you were separated from God. And so what they're saying is that when, if you didn't wash your hands, if your hands were dirty, then you, you were defiled, you were unclean, you were separated from God. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the real issue. See, so many times... Um, in our lives that the issue really is our heart and our heart what Jesus is going to teach us is our heart is the center of all we think and feel and do that's the center of where we make our decisions but all of our sin and our problems and our dysfunction come from within it comes from our hearts the problem is in us but so much of our world believes that the problem is, is as a result of, of what somebody else did, somebody else's fault, it's the, the circumstances that we're in. That's the problem. But Jesus wants to teach contrary to this. You see, the ethos of our, of our humanity and our culture is, is to place the blame somewhere else. But Jesus says that sin comes from us. It comes from in us. The fundamental problem is not in this world, it's not global warming, it's not poverty, it's not war, it's not crime. The fundamental issue, the fundamental problem in our world 
is that we are broken, that our hearts are broken. You're broken. I'm broken. The fundamental problem is that our hearts are defiled, not our hands. And see, so God is not after behavior modification. God, behave, that's what the, the, the Pharisees focused on. They focused on, you know, you just wash your hands and then you'll be close to God. But God is not after behavior modification. God doesn't, doesn't want just our, uh, to do rituals correctly. He doesn't just want our church attendance. He doesn't just want things that, that were, were overt demonstrations of supposed holiness. God wants our hearts. He's after our hearts. He doesn't want holy actions with, with unholy attitudes. He wants to us to be able to have a heart that is clean, a heart that is, that is, that is clean and purified, not just hands. And we get this. None of us want, uh, want others to do things for us just because they feel like they have to. Just because they, they want, we don't want right things without love. Like, say, for example, um, my wife, we've almost been married 14 years now. Um, 14 is, you know, it's still a milestone, but it's not like a, like a 15 or a 25 or 20 even. Um, so say I took my wife on a, on a, a date for our wedding anniversary, uh, and we, we, I booked the childcare. My kids went to go stay with my parents, and we went up to Seattle and stayed at a trendy hotel and went to, went to a nice restaurant, and we, we went out to a musical. I suffered through a musical for my wife, and I was actually patient for once while she was shopping, and we did all of these amazing things, and then the night before we're supposed to drive back down here to Tacoma Puyallup area, um, my wife asks me, she says, Josh, you know, 14 years, it's, it's not a, a great you know, anniversary. It's, you know, it's still a great anniversary, but it's not like, like a 15 or a 20 or a 25 or something. Josh, why did you do all of these things? And, and th- at that moment, it should be the moment where I say, because I love you, because I'm crazy about you, because it's a joy for me to do all these things. But what if in that moment I said, uh, because I felt like I was supposed to, because, you know, I, I just really felt like I didn't want you to get mad. So I did all of these things for you. I didn't really like it, but, you know, I did it. She would be crushed out, out, at that. because It would make the whole weekend meaningless for her because all, I had done all these amazing things, but my heart wasn't in it. And it's the same thing with God. God doesn't want us to do all these amazing things for her, for him, um, all this worship attendance, all of these other things without a heart that really loves him, that is really for him, that is really after God. And, and the, the Pharisees think that the source of uncleanliness is, is their, their, their positive actions. They think it's their, all of the, the right routine. It's the, all of their traditions that they do, all of these things that we do. That's the source of uncleanness. But, but Jesus says, no, the source of uncleanness, the source of impurity in your life is really your hearts. See, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they think they take sin seriously. They think they have a high view of sin because of, of all of their actions, because of all of what they do. But really, they have a low view of sin because they believe that it's only in, in, in having clean hands that makes them clean. It's only in clean hands that really helps them to follow, to follow God. But Jesus doesn't say that we're basically good people that mess up from time to time. You know, we're not, we don't just need a, a couple good techniques or instruction with a five-step plan. He's saying, Jesus says, basically, we are bad people bent on sin and bent on rebellion. That's who we are. We're not just 
good people that mess up from time to time. See, God doesn't say we're, we mess up from time to time. He says we are messed up. That is what's, it's what happens, but none of us think that we're that bad. And you can tell by how often we are unimpressed and unmoved by the gospel. Most of us don't think that if it wasn't for Jesus, that we would be in hell forever. That doesn't cross our mind. That doesn't cross our hearts. We, we live without that kind of mind. We live without that kind of religion. It's so, so easy to fall into the trap of religion. You see, we believe, when watch this, our sin is, is manageable and can be fixed. We believe that we need a, a teacher to be better, not a savior to make us new. That's what we need. We need a savior to make us new. But we think our, if our circumstances were different, then we would be different. We, we think that if we were in a different place, if we had a, a, a different uh, out circumstance in our life, that, that we wouldn't have the anxiety or the fear or the, the, the lust or the anger that we experience. We, we think that if we were in a, in a, in a different house in a, a, with a different partner, potentially a different spouse, we had a different job, we had a different church, we had a different whatever circumstance put there, that if you had that, then you would be different. That I wouldn't be this way. I wouldn't struggle with the sin. But the problem is not our circumstance. The problem is in us. The problem is our heart. That our hearts are far from God. And we don't truly know his love for us. And how desperate he is to reach out for us. If we could really experience that, we would be so much more passionate in the Christian life that we live. We think that, that we can just change all of these things and, and, and that we will... That Everything will be fine. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says that, that, we are, that we are messed up, that we are sinners, not in need of repentance. James 1.14 says it this way, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. We all have different things that we want to change. And maybe we can change circumstances and maybe our sin will fade away for a time, but our sin will come back. And so what, what Jesus, we, what we see him here is, is he comes up on stage, he basically says, you're all evil, and then he drops the mic and walks off stage. And people are, are wondering for the instruction, they're wondering, okay, Jesus, what's the five-step plan to fix us? And they want Jesus to offer them a solution, to teach them a solution. But Jesus won't teach them a solution because Jesus is going to the cross in Mark 15 to become the solution. See, we don't need a teaching and instruction. We need a savior in our lives, and we need repentance in our life. That's how Jesus starts the gospel of Mark, is he says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is near. That's what he's asking. He's asking all of us to repent, to, be, to come closer to a God who is the solution for, our, for what is real problem, and the real problem is our heart. Most of us, we have a band-aid called religion over an infected wound in our heart. And the wound is festering. And we, want, we don't want to open up the wound because we, we're thinking about how it'll hurt to rip off the band-aid. But we don't see that it's going to hurt us in the long run to let that wound stay infected, to let that wound fester. We, so we, we try different Band-Aids. We try, oh, well, let's try this Band-Aid. Let's try this Band-Aid. And we put different Band-Aids, and we've got 10 million different Band-Aids over the wound. But what's really needed is to rip off all of the Band-Aids and to expose our heart to a loving and, and saving God who wants to come in and, 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 
help to know our heart. The way to real repentance is vulnerability. And most of us don't want to be vulnerable because we're afraid of rejection. But without the the vulnerability, without the true repentance in our lives, God won't change your heart. You've got to be able to come forward. And part of that coming forward is also coming forward to other people. That if God truly loves you, he will love you through others. So we've got to be able to have a a place in our lives where we can admit the problems we're going through, admit all of our difficulties, and be able to repent because of that. That's what God desires in your heart. That's what God desires that in your life, that you wouldn't just keep putting different religions, whether it's, it's church religion or whether it's, it's a TV show religion, whether it's sports religion, whether it's a job religion, whether it's money religion, all th- sorts of different things. It doesn't just have to look like religious, like, like, like a church to be, re- to be your religion. But God wants you to rip off those. He wants you to find a place where you can really expose yourself. Revival is on the other side of vulnerability because our whole, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth. And the only place the, whole, the Holy Spirit will really show up in your life in a great and profound way is when you're vulnerable with him, when you're open with him. And then he will grab your heart and he will change your heart and he'll give you new desires because you'll get a new heart that's from Jesus. He doesn't want you to just be better. He wants you to be new. And that's how we've got to come to Jesus. Can we pray? God, thank you for this. Thank you for your message. Thank you, God, that you are a loving, saving God, that you came to die for us to become the solution because we couldn't figure it out ourselves. We were trapped in our sin. Your Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And it might not be physical death, but God, there's a death inside of us that we all experience. It's a hole. It's a loneliness. It's a depression. It's a doubt. It's all those different things that spiritually we're dying inside. We don't need a five-step plan. We don't need instructions, a good teaching, God. We need a Savior to come into our heart to make us new, to love us right where we are, to show us that you are a good God and that we couldn't save ourselves. So you came down and died on a cross because you had the power to save us. God, we need your saving power in our lives. We need your resurrection power in our lives. We need your love, God. We need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your Holy Spirit. And ultimately, above all else, we need Jesus. God, I pray that if nothing else, this church will be a Jesus church. A church where Jesus is lifted high. Where the name of Jesus is above every other name. That at, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue would confess and every knee shall bow to the glory of God the Father. That's the kind of kingdom Jesus church that we want to be Pray, God, that you'll touch people's lives, touch people's hearts, and that people will come forward to be vulnerable, to accept your love in their life. In your precious name we pray, amen.